0: Okay, It's good to be again, as I said before, to be with you this morning to worship the Lord and to come to the table and remember our Lord, what he did for us on the cross. We're so blessed. We're in the uh, epistle of Jude. You can turn to it. It's one chapter. As I mentioned, we started it last week. We'll be in it a few more weeks before Palm Sunday. And uh, we're going to look at verses 5 through 7 today in Jude. As I mentioned last week, there's five uh, books in the Bible that have one chapter. One of them is in the Old Testament. Obadiah is one chapter. And then there's four in the New Testament. Uh, Philemon and second and third John and Jude. And uh, so we praise the Lord. And we had mentioned that Jude was probably the Lord's half brother. Uh, Mary, after Jesus was born, had children, both uh, boys and girls. It says that clearly in the Gospels. Some people interpret that word to mean nephews, but it is sons and daughters. Uh, so praise the Lord. So it's one chapter, it contains many important truths that we need to take heed to, especially in the day in which we live. Uh, There are three examples in the passage we're going to look at today of unbelief, rebellion, and actually destruction. These examples are given by Jude as a reminder to warn believers of the dangers of unbelief, rebellion, and what will occur. Believers need to take heed and remain faithful to the Word of God and to uh, Jesus Christ, our God, our Lord and Savior. It's very easy to get wrapped up into the world. We live in a world in which we see things happening. I've often heard old timers say this. Years ago, non believers lived like Christians, and now, today, Christians sometimes live like the world. So non-believers, even back then, that didn't really believe in, in the Lord, they might not have denied him, but they didn't embrace him, they certainly lived moral lives. Not that they were lily white. They were still sinners. But sad to say today, what we're seeing in the world has corrupted even believers' lives. Doing this American history course, One of the things the founding fathers realized, they weren't all true born-again believers, as we know, Christians. They recognized the evil heart of man. That's why they put checks and balances in. Because man will do things. Praise the Lord, our government today doesn't. It's pretty good. Any response? (laughs) Uh, But... uh, we know this is happening right before our eyes. So Jude is warning about, he's using three examples that we're very familiar with. He's using the example of the, of unbelief in the wilderness. He's using the example of some of the angels that rebelled against God. And then also the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. These three examples Jude is using in verses 5 through 7. He says, and I'll read these verses, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So he says he's putting them in remembrance of these things. The word remembrance in the Greek language is uh, a hoopo uh, uh, minnesko. Hupo, now, some of us know what hooper means. Does anybody know what hooper means? Over. Hooper Nikki in 837 of Romans means overcoming, right, Gerard? <laughs> Gerard knows that. Uh, and here, These are prepositions. Hooper means over, H-U-P-E-R. In the Greek language, there's no H, so whenever you see this word in the Greek, you'll have a comma, backwards comma, over the first letter. The moment you see that in the Greek language, you immediately put in H, like sin. Sin is harmonia. It starts with alpha, with a that over, it. so the moment you see that, is har-h-a. So this here is hupo, which is under. Hooper is over. Hupo Hoop, is under. So he's putting this under remembrance for you. And we need to be put into remembrance. Okay? Well, often we forget things. We forget dates. We forget uh that's why the dentist and doctors always call you up a day or two before your appointment. They shouldn't do that because they've got you schooled into the fact that you don't have to worry about it anymore. Years ago, you put it on your calendar and nobody called you up and nobody forgot their appointment. But today, they will. Has there anybody in this room that's ever forgot a doctor or dentist appointment? Let me see your hands. Probably all of us have. Okay, because we're so schooled into the fact that somebody's going to call us. I called some of the guys yesterday about communion today. (laughs) Because, again, we have a tendency. It's best to put it on your calendar or put it in your brain and lock it in your mind or put it on your phone. But we need to be put in remembrance of a lot of things. And what he's going to do here, these people are familiar that he's writing to and we're familiar to these accounts... Those that have any biblical knowledge are familiar, and certainly we are. So the first one I would like to look at is the example of unbelief in the wilderness. Now, next Sunday night, I'm going to cover numbers 13 and 14 in our evening service, but I'm going to touch a little bit on it now. This always amazes me, but it doesn't. It does, but it doesn't. When the children of Israel were crying for a deliverer, they were under taskmasters in Egypt. And God raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses to go back to Egypt to deliver his people out of bondage. It took a while, but they were delivered. Now these people had cried for deliverance. Now they're in the wilderness. From Egypt to Canaan should take about 15 days. It took them 40 years. It wasn't because they didn't have MapQuest <laughs> or put it in your car phone or whatever and tell you, okay, in a quarter of a mile you take a left. You know? We all are accustomed to that, right? We log it in, and it tells us exactly where to go, where to turn, what to do. They didn't have it, obviously. But they didn't need it. They should have got to Canaan in about 15 days. It took them 40 years. It wasn't that they were slow learners. They didn't listen to their wives. Just kidding. (laughs) Men have a tendency not to. Okay? But... They didn't listen to God's direction and weren't obedient to him. Now, this is this is an interesting story, account, from Numbers 13. So I just want you to turn to that for a few moments. I want to just briefly go through it. This is the point where they get to uh, Kadesh Barnea. I don't have a map here. If I did, I would show you where it is on the map. They get to Kadesh Barnea, and God says to Moses, Send in some spies to spy out the land. They choose, choose one from each tribe. It's the 12 tribes of Israel, so one from each tribe. So let's just turn back to Numbers 13 and 14. And like I said, I just want to briefly go through this here to just give you a little bit of an idea what this unbelief is. In chapter 13, at the very beginning, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the command of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, All those men were heads of the children of Israel, and it lists all the men of the different tribes here, the next number of verses. Okay? Now they go into the land. They cross the Jordan River, they go into the land, they view it. Now, in verse 26 of chapter 13, and they came, they went and came to uh, to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh—that's Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea—and brought back word unto them and all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. So they went across. They got the fruit of the land, and they to, and they told him and said, "We we come unto the land whither you know where they were sent, where you sent us." And surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. So at this point, they brought in evidence of the land, how good it is. The grapes, the fruit, the honey, was really good. But the very next word, in verse 28, is a word of unbelief. What's the word? Nevertheless. The people be strong that dwell in the land. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but have you ever said nevertheless? Have you ever said, "Whoa, I don't know if we can do it? When God has made it very clear what he wanted them to do to go into the land. Nevertheless, the people be strong. Of course they're strong that dwell in the land. See, what do we expect? We expected just a cakewalk, you know, an easy deal. Christianity is not an easy deal, okay? There's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of roadblocks. There's a lot of problems when you come to Christ. Sometimes people preach that when you come to Christ, you're never going to have a problem again in your life. Discount that if you hear that. Everybody in this room has had problems in your lives as Christians, haven't you? And you will. We will. Because the enemy is going to try to hit us hard. But they, nevertheless, the people be strong, and the, the cities are walled, and they're very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Pretty much the report here is we can't do it. So let's just put that aside. But there's always men and women of faith. There were 12 spies. Don't always go by the majority. In fact, in this case, it's a minority. How many? Two. Who? Joshua. Hey, Josh. (laughs) Joshua and Caleb. Okay? And I love what it says about, especially Caleb, Now it's in verse 6, chapter 14. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jethrodeh, which were of them that uh, uh, searched the land, rent their clothes. They rent their clothes because the other ten spies did not want to go in. And that day when you rent your clothes, you know what that means? You're not very pleased. For example, if I went out in this yard in the summertime and rent my clothes and wore rolled in ashes, they'd probably take me away in a white suit. They'd think I was crazy. But some of the Old Testament people did that. They actually literally rent their clothes and rolled in ashes. You do that today, they think you lost your mind. Right? I'm not going to try it. I'd like to, but I'm not going to try it. (laughs) Because they would think, what in the world happened to the pastor? We knew he was really not quite there, but now we certainly know. But they rent their clothes. They tore their, actually literally tore their clothes. Okay? Don't rebel, in verse 9, only rebel not against the Lord. Neither fear the people of the land. See, now that's a statement of faith. A statement of belief and a statement of faith. A statement of obedience. Don't rebel against God. And don't fear the people. Don't be afraid. And then, just skipping on into 14, chapter 14, But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now, at, this is two years into the journey. You know how many more years it would take them to get to the promised land? How many? 38. I don't want to wait 38 years to go to the promised land. I'm not talking about going to heaven. I'm talking going to the victorious life in Christ. Okay? You know, crossing the Jordan River is not going to heaven. There is a song that sort of indicates that. Because heaven, there's no... Conflict. In, in across the Jordan, there's conflict. Uh, uh, but we want to, do you want to go on in Christ? Here's the key obedience, faith, don't be afraid. So often we're fearful. Oh, I don't know if we can do it. I don't know if we can do it. I remember when I first started at IBM. One of the first courses, they give you a number of courses, new employees. One of the courses was called Work Simplification. And they had us in this room, and they, they right away start to give you some project to do. And, uh, we, oh, we can't do that. Or it's impossible. They want you to get that out of your mind. So right away, you know, some of the guys, and probably I said it too, uh, well, well, we always used to do it that way. They want to get you out of the fact that maybe you did it that way, but maybe there's a new, new way. Think outside the box, basically, what they want you to do. And uh, they gave us a project to do, and we had to come up with ideas. Did you take WorkSimp, Gordon? Did you take it, Chris? Well, we, we took, I took it. Who else is IBMer's here? I took it, and I actually won a dollar. Because the guys I was with, we won the deal. I think we got a picture of that home somewhere, right? I don't look much different in the picture, do I? (laughs) Uh, But they see, this is the thing. Right away, if we do something, we think, oh, we, we can't do it. Oh, we've always done it that way. Think outside the box. But here it should be very clear because God has told him, you're going to have the land. If you're going to have the land, just go over and take it. And that's what Joshua and Caleb says, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land. Now, how long did how long did Caleb have to wait? 38 years. How old was he when he got his mountain? It says it in, uh, in Joshua chapter 14, I believe. He was 85 years old, but he had to wait, too, because of the rebellion, and they couldn't go in. That's a sad thing. Forty years. Listen. How long do you want to wait? And I'm not saying we shouldn't wait on the Lord. I'm not saying about that we should. But sometimes we are afraid, fearful. Okay, am I talking to anybody here? I'm talking to myself. Am I talking to anybody else? You ever been fearful? We can't do it? Hey, listen, I'm not saying just blindly go and do things, but if it's this was clearly God's will. It was clearly God's will for them to go into the promised land. It wasn't like, oh, this may be or may not. That kind of case, we have to pray about it and wait on the Lord. But when it's clearly, clearly God's will, it's not based on what I think. It's based on what we we think what God's will is. (laughs) And then move forward. Because sometimes we want our will instead of his will. But his will, in this case, was to go into the promised land. So like I said, I could spend a lot more time talking about their unbelief. There was a lot of unbelief in the wilderness. You're that generation, you know how many of them went into the promised land? Out of those 12 spies, how many went in? Two. How many died in the wilderness? Ten. Plus a lot of other folks. They never got into the promised land. They got out of Egypt. But they never got into the promised land. Some people get out of, get salvation. But they never go on to the victorious life. Right? They're floundering. Listen. As Christians, God wants us to live in the victory of Christ. It's called the victorious life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not to flounder for year after year after year, but to have the victory in Christ. You, like I said before, in, in Romans 8, 37, it says, we're more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors, Hooper Nicky, overcomers. So praise the Lord. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I would highly recommend, and I'm speaking to myself, that I go on to victory in Christ instead of floundering. Because I know what God wants, I can say this clearly, he wants us to go forward by faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. He hasn't brought you out of the world and just let you flounder in this life before he takes you to heaven. He has a purpose and plan. So that's what he's talking about. The example here of unbelief. Unbelief will hold you back. Okay, moving on. Like I said, we could speak a lot about that. He destroyed them that believed not. It says there, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them. We talk about judgment. Let me tell you where judgment's going to begin first. Does anybody know? The house of God. Who's the house of God? Us. Judgment is going to begin in the house of God. Maybe sometimes the house of God is not living the way we should be living. Okay? I've often heard the term, anybody got any skeletons in their closet? What does that mean? Does that mean when I go home, I open my closet, there'll be a skeleton hanging in there? Okay. I know what it means. It means do you have any hidden sins? Do you have something going on in your life? I believe in transparency. What you see is what you get. Not some hidden deal going on. Okay, if you do have some hidden deal going on, confess it to the Lord and move on. And because it'll hold you back. It'll hold us back. It'll hold the church back when that happens. That's why judgment must begin at the house. We can always talk about judgment beginning with this person or the country or this. this. It's easy to talk about that. But when it hits home, i got to deal with that. That's why it says in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my way. I went to the dentist the other day, and I was in the chair, and I was quoting some verses to the dentist and to his hygienist. He says, uh, and I'm glad he said this. I said, it's in Psalm 139, verse th- 14 and 15. I said, our bodies are fearfully and wonderful made. And then I said, I think it's there. He said, what do you mean you think it's there? You should know it's there. I said, you know, his name is Sam Pye. I said, no, you know, Sam, you're right. Because if he was going to work on my mouth, and he says, I think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I would jump out of the chair like as quick as I could. But, and I I'm glad he said that because what he's saying to me was this the way I interpret it. You're the pastor and you should know where that is. You're the dentist and you should know what you're doing in my mouth. Right? So so I, I'm not gonna say I think I it's there. I know it's there. But you know this is what I mean. We've got to have assurance of the faith we got to know what we believe and not be a think, I think this is what it is. Suppose I got up this morning and I said, well, you know, I think if you come to Christ, you're going to go to heaven someday. I, I think if you do this, you're going to say, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Doesn't he have any assurance? Doesn't he have any conviction? Doesn't he, have, doesn't he preach with authority? Or does he get up and just give opinions and think so? It's not a question of a think-so salvation. It's a no self salvation. Amen? And that's the key. This is why Christians have to stand up and shout their faith instead of being so wimpies. Okay? Afraid. We don't have anything to be afraid of because we got a great God. And that's why we have to stand strong in Christ in this day and not buckle into the pressures and powers of this world. You got me? Okay? I'm preaching to myself because sometimes we're a little afraid to open our mouth up when the opportunity prevails. Well, I don't want to cause any trouble. Stand up and say what you believe and what you know. That's the key. Okay? And that's what we need. Christians should be strong in the Lord, not in their own strength, in their own power, but the power of God. Now, moving on. And, and that's a message in itself. But... Uh, Verse uh, 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Now again, I'm just going to give you an overview because there's a lot here. A lot. Let me just, you can look it up. It's in Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 14. I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about the fall of Lucifer Satan. In chapter 14 of Luke, of, of, of Isaiah verse 4, uh, 4 12 it says Lucifer who was a very beautiful angel decided I'm going to be above God the five times I believe in that passage there he says I will ascend on high that's Lucifer God did not create evil evil came from Lucifer's heart and he rebelled against God in heaven. And because of that, Lucifer fell. He was a beautiful angel. And he, he fell and became who? Satan. Then Satan comes down to the earth and there's a, a couple in the Garden of Eden and he tempts them. Now temptation is not sin. He tempted them when he says, Hath God said? Questioning God's Command, don't eat of that one tree. And, of course, they listened. And sin fell, and the fall comes. That's when the fall came. In Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent beguiled Eve, and, of course, Adam as well, they sinned. And then sin entered the world. But also, and like I said, I got several verses here. And you might mark this down. It's in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It talks about a war in heaven. Let me just read the verses here. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan. This is chapter 12 of Revelation, verse 9. Which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now it's believed that a third of the angels went with Satan. Satan. Third, because in that same passage it talks about a third of the stars, right? Now, he's an accuser of the brethren. Let me just say this here's what it may be like. I'll use myself as an example. Lucifer, Satan comes to God, says, There's Frank. He claimed to come to know, know you as his Lord and Savior, but look what he's doing. He belongs to you. Look what he's doing. You know what Jesus is going to say? He's not going to say that yet. He's going to say, listen, he belongs to me. I'll take care of him. Just so you leave your hands off of him. Okay? If he needs needs to be judged and and he needs to be disciplined and chastened, I'll chase him. But he belongs to me. He's an accuser of the brethren. He's going to accuse you before God. Okay? And that's going to happen. But praise the Lord, there's a verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is verse 11 of chapter 12. You want to hear it? Here it is. And they overcame him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. You you overcome by the blood of the lamb. I don't overcome Satan by myself. In Ephesians 6, it tells us to put on the whole armor of God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but spiritual wickedness in high places. There's an enemy there. He's trying to undo you and undo the church. Right? But Jesus said the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The enemy will try, but we're going to be victorious in Christ. They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. See, this is how we overcome the devil. How did Jesus overcome the devil when he was tempted there in in Matthew chapter 4? Every time the devil came to tempt him, temptation is not sin. Temptation can lead to sin. But every time he was tempted, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is written. And that's the way. We don't do it in our strength. I need God. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Word of God. And I need to stand strong and overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's the key. Now, like I said, there's a lot here on the angel. Some of the angels are roaming the earth right now, fallen angels. You know what they're called? Demons. But do you know some are locked up? Did you know that? When are they going to be released? During the tribulation. Read the passage there in uh, which I read, 2 Peter, and other passages. They're re- reserved to the day of that day. They're, they're locked up right now. But they're going to be released. You might say all hell is going to break loose. Okay? So, continuing on here. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains. There it is. Uh, uh, under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Okay? Now, the third one. And like I said, I could spend a lot of time on the first one, the second one, and a lot of time on the third one. The third one we probably know pretty well is Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner given themselves over to fornication and gone about strange flesh. Now, we can look that up. It's it's in, um, in Genesis 19. Let me just tell you what happens here. Abraham and Lot had a little problem with their herds. So basically it says, look over. And Lot looked over and said, oh, that looks good. He wanted that. So he goes over there with his family. There's all kinds of homosexual there. Activity. In Romans chapter 1 it says they exchanged the natural use for an unnatural use. That is a sin. We love the people, but we don't love the sin. We want to reach the people, but we can't go along with it. It's invading our country, folks. Do you know what one of the causes of the fall of the Roman Empire was? Does anybody know? Homosexuality and welfare. And their elite legions became lazy. The elite legions of Rome out on the outer boundaries that's why the, the the different groups came in and attacked rome that's why rome fell i'm not i'm not a prophecy here but i'm i'm in fear of this country i think we're in bad shape that's why there needs to be national repentance you agree As a leader, you have to lead the people, not just legislatively, but morally. Well, yeah, they need them. Even as I talk, I I got a funny feeling. It bothers me. I can say, oh, everything's fine and dandy with me, but... but that would be a selfish way of just looking at my relationship to the Lord and my knowing where I'm going to be. I have to have a heart for the Lord and for people because it says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In Second Chronicles seven fourteen, which you probably know very well, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and, and then I will hear from heaven. You know, if they turn from their wicked ways, he will heal the land. We need a national repentance. You hear me? Pray for this land. Get down on your knees and pray for the leadership. Pray for Christians that will stand strong in this latter day we live in. That we won't buckle in to the pressures of this world, but will stand out as Christians. That's what it is. We are the salt and the light of the world. So, but just going on here with Sodom and Gomorrah. Like I said, you can read it later. It's in chapter 19 and other places. <clears throat> and God sends some angels. One of them is probably a Christophanes, which is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Two of the other angels went on to where? Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the angel comes to Lot's house. And you know what the men of the city wanted? Did they want Lot's daughters? No, they wanted the angels because they appeared as men. But the angel told Lot and his family, get out, of, get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they left. And as they're leaving, what is this? Who's that? Lot's wife. Short verse in Luke seventeen 32. Three words. Remember Lot's Wife. What happened to her? She turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back. You don't look back to the world. We sing that song. We're not singing it today, but I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Why would I turn back to the world? I've been delivered out of the world. Why would I want to go back to the world? Why? Go forward. Lot's wife turned back. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but you know what happened to Lot's daughters. Right? You can read that later. So he uses these three examples. Disobedience and uh, lack of faith in the, in the wilderness. The angels that didn't keep their first estate, but fell with Lucifer. Two, three, Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me just say this, folks. I'm not going to give you a prophetic word here. But I think we're close. We're close to go one way or the other way. That's why we pray about revival. And the revival doesn't start with the non believers. You know who revival starts with? Us, Christians. That's what revival is. There needs to be a revival. There needs to be national repentance. Universal, right? There needs to be. Because there's lots of things going on. But greater is He that's in us and He that's in the world. Listen, we don't have to live in defeat, we can live in victory. We don't have to live in afraid, but we can live by faith. We don't have to live to say, I don't know what's happening in this day. Look at it as an opportunity for you to present the gospel. I'm looking at this summer to be an outstanding summer here at Grace Bible Fellowship Church. Not just the summer, but the spring. So we can get the gospel out. We can share the Lord. Take some tracts. Give them out. Talk about Jesus Christ with people. Tell them about him when they ask you. What is the difference in your life? It's Christ in my life. It's Jesus Christ that's made me change. I'm not, you know, some guy that just is a religious nut. I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I follow him, and he's changed my life. And that testimony can have a powerful effect on other people's lives when they say, hey, listen, what has happened to you? And you can say, it's Christ, the Lord. He's changed me. Wherever you go, wherever, you know, you, our lives should be a testimony of Christ. Not, by the word, not just by the words that come out of our mouths, but by the lives that we live. Probably this has happened to you. It's happened to me. When the dirty joke has been told, I remember working at an IBM, and when a dirty joke was being told, they'd often say, oh, we can't tell if Frank's around. Has that happened to you? I'm sure it's happened to all of us. It's because they realize you don't want to hear it. Okay? So you walk away. You tell them, you know, well, you shouldn't be telling those jokes anyway, but uh, the best thing to do is just walk away. Don't have anything to do with it. Stand strong and then share Christ with them. Don't come across that you're holier than thou, though. Come across that, yes, I'm a sinner too, and I needed repentance, and God can do the same thing in your life. Because if you come across as holier than thou, you're going to lose the opportunity to share the Lord with them. But stand your ground. Stand strong in Christ. Be a testimony and witness. Be different. And this is so important in this day. I can't emphasize this enough. That the Christian church and Christians individually have to live the Christian life victoriously in Christ. Right? That's what's going to make a big difference. Because people are going to see that something has changed in your life. You overcame by the blood of the land and by their testimony. There it is. Their testimony. The blood and the testimony. That's the key. And we fear not our lives unto the death. So let me, brothers and sisters, close right now. We're going to have the communion. When I take this communion and you take it today, the one that gave us life always stood the ground, always reached out, always lived. Obviously, we're not Christ. We can't live a perfect life. But he lived a perfect life. And he willingly went to the cross for our sins. And the testimony, even from the cross, even from the cross, when you had the thief on the cross say, Lord, remember me. And the, the Roman centurion said, surely he was the son of God. Obviously, the testimony from that cross just spoke volumes to that thief on the cross and to that Roman centurion who said, truly he was the son of God. Because he saw from the cross Jesus Christ. And he heard the words of the Lord when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the other words that he said from the cross. That's our Lord. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. But he, he went to the cross. The cross is so central, so powerful. I'm writing an article for the Riverview for April. It's on the heart of the gospel. The death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. The death, burial and resurrection. When Paul came to to Corinth, he said I've determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He preached the gospel. He didn't come with enticing words. He didn't come with the wisdom of men. He came in the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God and he preached Christ. And people got saved. All the places Paul went, whether it was Athens or Corinth or Thessalonica or Philippi or Berea or Rome, wherever he was, he was sharing Jesus Christ. And that's the key. People need the Lord. Amen? And he's going to use his church. I know the church is going to be victorious. Yes, we're going to, we've gone through some tough stuff, but he's going to bring it through with a high hand of victory. Amen. And we're, we're on the cutting edge of what God's going to be doing. And he's going to use you and me to get that gospel out and to share the gospel and live the Christian life and be victorious in the Lord. Amen. Not by our own strength, not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do it, but he can. It's letting Christ be Christ in my life. Amen. Letting Christ be all that I am, all of Christ and all of me. For the glory of God. Amen. Lift up the Lord and give him praise. Amen. (laughs) Okay. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Now as we come to the table, we thank you for Jesus who gave his life for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.